Hello and welcome to Yellow Chair Collective. We are a psychotherapy practice based in Los Angeles. My name is Jack Lamb and I'm an outreach coordinator and a psychotherapist here at Yellow Chair and I will be your host for this interview. Today we will be speaking on Asian body image with our fellow YCC therapists. Catherine Fu is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is a second generation Vietnamese American from California, working with Asian American youth and young adults. Angela Nguyen is an associate clinical social worker who works with young adults and families. As a second generation Vietnamese American, she is passionate about Asian Pacific Islander and South Asian mental health. So without further ado, I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and then how maybe you got interested in the topic of Asian body image. My name is Catherine. I think what propelled me to dive into this work was just for my own personal research. I kind of got frustrated with the narrative of body positivity, which is why Angela and I really dove deep into body neutrality and that stance because of this almost frustration of not feeling like the positive affirmations were our truths, right? It felt like a forced lie almost. So we dove in in the research and the language and it just connected for us both. And, um, you know, along the way, we really noted that, okay, well, what about our Asian bodies and that entire nuance too? And we explored that together. For me, part of it too is just existing you know, as an Asian American woman and like living my life with all different types of messaging about what an Asian woman is supposed to look like or is supposed to be like. And just coming to face too with like these expectations of others and wanting to go on my own body acceptance journey and not really finding anything out there that really fit what I was looking for. Uh, there definitely is more now. Um, there's a lot of like younger folks who are talking about things or older folks who are talking about things. And that's wonderful. And it's so great to see that representation, but definitely in my own journey, like wanting a space to connect with other Asian women and realizing like, if I wanted that, there must be others who wanted that. So I think um, our journey sort of led us to our body image group. I know there's a lot of want to dive into, but I kind of want to hear a little bit more. You were talking about your body acceptance journey, right? So I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about what that looked like for you. I actually want to start more with beauty standards and, ex and like body expectations, because I think that really plays into what you think that you can or can't accept. A lot of Western standards, right, they prioritize certain features, right, you know, the lighter colored hair, double eyelid, a really curvy body, but it's also simultaneously very slender. And a lot of Asian beauty standards really look at big eyes, really pale skin, like long dark hair, also being very, very slender. As an Asian American woman, sort of being faced with these two very different ideals and these two very polarizing expectations, at least growing up in America, a lot of stereotypes, specifically like American or Western stereotypes of what Asian women are supposed to look like. Seeing media representation, one being very limited just in how much there was, and two being very limited on the type of representation. 
for the longest time, Asian women in media were either really cute and pretty and submissive, like the perfect wife type of trope, or they were the sexy, seductress, killer assassin, femme fatale sort of lady, you know? You were either like sweet and cute and submissive, or you were exotic and dangerous and sexy. Being really stuck amidst all these expectations and stereotypes and standards and realizing that like I needed to find something that made sense for me in my own body and a framework that helped me just reject a lot of those standards um, and expectations. I think that for me, not only society and media obviously has affected my upbringing, right? Mostly, but also growing up in a a really white dominant area and the expectations to look like them. So I grew up next to the beach. A lot of tall, white, blonde, tan, beautiful women or girls that I grew up with and really hating myself for that. But a lot of my trauma, I want to call it, stemmed from home. And the ideal of needing to look very, very thin and having that pointed out to me on a daily basis. So separating and having to continually talk to myself and restate that your worth, my worth is is not dependent on how I look and how thin I am and how light my skin is, which is something that my family values, right? Something I want to highlight as well is I think for a lot of Southeast Asian communities and upbringings, it is cemented in the standard of beauty to be those things, right? To to be very thin and to be light-skinned and to be submissive to your husband. So there, there's also this, this um, need to be heterosexual and, and whatever that looks like. And to stay within the realm of normalcy, and I'm using air quotes here, so it's all really challenging and even talking about it, it's like, like I'm like, I'm just like, I just see myself just like <laughs> paddling in water, trying not to freaking drown with all of these expectations and standards all of the time. So it's, it's freaking hard work. So what that journey has looked like is just really talking to myself every day and surrounding my social media and my friendships and my partner with the same ideals that I have. Because I can't change my family's beliefs. I can still control these other things, right? I control my outlook and my immediate environment and feel damn good about it. Thank you for sharing. I really, really loved both of your responses and how vulnerable y'all were. I think sometimes it's really hard to kind of create that controlled environment you were talking about. There are certain things that we can't control, right? Like, for example, other people's comments about our bodies and the kind of images that we see through the media, as Angela said. Why are these messages so harmful? You know, because I think a lot of the times, a lot of family members, especially when they make comments about body, I feel like it's because they might be well-intentioned or maybe they just don't know what to talk about. So that's something that is easy to talk about. A lot of family think that commenting on your weight is going to motivate you to change your weight, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you gained weight. And by commenting on it, they're thinking like, oh, I'll, this is going to push her to like lose the weight and to be slim, right? To, to match the ideal. And it's and, kind of from like a place of love, right? Right, that's, right. That's it's just, like, it's, it's like when your grandma pinches your tummy, you know, at the family gathering, she's like, oh, you, you put on a little bit of weight. Like, you know 
like deep, deep down, it's coming from a place of like, oh, well, she's saying it because she wants you to be beautiful. But what I think is really harmful about it is like this overt focus on your body, right? It's like focusing so much on your acne or your hair or like what your body shape is or what it is that you look like and less of a focus on like just how you are existing in the world and how you're enjoying the world and how you move through life. I think this like overt body focus really turns your focus into being so attuned to what you look like all the time. Mm-hmm. And then that really takes away from the joy of just existing. You know, like if you're always worried about what you look like, how you're going to be perceived, then you don't really get to enjoy so much like what your body can do. Like if you're worried about what you look like on a hike, you're less focused on enjoying the hike, enjoying how your body moves up this mountain, enjoying what nature looks like. Completely. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you, right? All three of us nodded when we said that body focus is coming from a place of love, which is horrible because I think that overarchingly it's coming from a fat phobic stance, which I personally believe that a lot of Asian culture is very, very fat phobic. That's harmful within itself because it's teaching people and young children that if you don't look this way, if you are not ideally thin, then you are not healthy, you are not beautiful, you are not worth anything. That is why it's harmful because it continues to generate this ideal that being fat, that being chubby is bad and sinful. And I say sinful, I grew up Catholic. It's one of the freaking seven sins or whatever, right? So that's, that's, that's trauma. That's another trauma that we can talk about, but it's just a horrible cycle of self-loathing and the need to find value and gratification from the viewpoint of others rather than inwards. One thing that I really, really liked that you pointed out was about the fat phobia of these Mm -hmm. kinds of comments and messages. And going back to what y'all were talking about earlier, you mentioned a little bit about growing up in a white dominant area. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, being in the United States where I'm talking about beauty standards, right? There's still a large narrative that, you know, whiteness is more beautiful going back to eastern beauty standards lightness is more beautiful right we're talking about Mm -hmm. colorism in our spaces more so it's interesting because i think talking about beauty y'all also brought in like gender roles Mm -hmm. about how it's very tied to a certain image of an asian woman being certain stereotypes that angela named i'm wondering what is um specific i guess or maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience with body image with your asian identity or maybe your identity as a woman So I grew up in a predominantly Latinx Hispanic area. So definitely remember like being the one to stand out and being the one that never got the cute love notes in class. You know, people never had a crush on me, never got asked out for dates. People like assuming that I was going to date the one other Asian guy (laughs) in school. I think for a long time, I was always aware of like how I looked in relation to other people, because no one looked like me. There were a couple other folks who were Asian in like where I grew up, but for the most part, right? Like in a classroom, it would be like me and maybe one other person who looked like me, right? And then everyone else looked different. So just being really aware of not being considered beautiful and and yet the pressure to be beautiful. I turned a lot of attention towards it, especially when I got to college 
And when I started dating and like for the first time coming into contact with yellow fever, it's like the slang derogatory term for when non-Asian, generally men, are like overtly, overly into Asian women and coming into contact with either being expected to be like really cute and really dainty and pretty and small or being expected to be like really like hypersexual, like really sexy. And then either way, right, whether it was this cute expectation or a sexy expectation, it was being fetishized. Like I was getting these sorts of comments or I was coming across these like messages on like dating apps, for example, because I was an Asian woman, right? It was not just that I was a woman, but there was a layer of being fetishized and being exotified because I was an Asian woman. Even now, I think there is a lot of that. Like if you look into like internet culture, there is so much interest and like so much like idolization, idealization of like the Japanese anime schoolgirl look. There are young women who are sometimes Asian and sometimes not, who make a ton of money playing video games and looking really, really young. Like they have the schoolgirl outfit on, they have like the contacts so their eyes look really big, um, and they use like the, the baby voice or the woo-woo voice. It is very much something that happens, right? And like these women, and I'm not shaming them, I'm not blaming them, but they do make a lot of money doing this because there's a market for it, because there's a market of generally non-Asian men, although I believe Asian men as well, who consume this, who want to see this type of media. The fetishization and exotification of Asian women is not only in an individual experience, right, like what I have experienced in my own life, but is also like a collective experience because like other Asian women are seeing this as well. And other young Asian girls are experiencing this as well. It really, really sucks that just trying to exist in the world, you, you get these sort of comments. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Angela made so many good points of where do we fit in just our own body, in our own skin color, in, in, in all of those cultures that, that, that make up who we are. Um, I think for me, growing up in a white dominant area, same as Angela, where this hyper awareness comes, you know, at a very young age too. Like you are aware you look different, that you eat different foods, that you speak a different way, that you are bilingual in all of these things. But also the media, you know, when I grew up, it was all white people, all beautiful white people who were so talented and, and, you know, you wanted to be like them, sound like them, wear clothes like them too, whatever. To know that you look different significantly and you are not that standard of beauty like everyone you're going to school with is heartbreaking. And it's um, it, it continues to grow on the narrative of you are not enough. And I remember being a kid and really finding so much value of when I would get comments of, you don't look Asian. You don't look that Asian. You're beautiful for an Asian girl. Her eyes are bigger, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh yeah, this is amazing. I'm not freaking Asian. And I just became so hateful of who I was, where I came from, to a point where I would hate, like geographically in, in my county, there's 
spots of bigger Asian communities, right? And I would look down on them. I perpetuated so much hate for myself where I hated my own people. And we were the freaking same. We are children of refugees. Our families came over here, same cause with all the work that I've done and the connection to my ethnicity and, and the love for my people and the work that I've done there, the grief, oh my God, the grief of work that you feel not only for obviously the people, but just for yourself, the child you and the pain minorities go into or feel. Yeah, I, I guess that that is what it's like, right? It's just this constant, not constant, but it is definitely a freaking, um, sorry, I want to cuss, but I'm going to try a different, I'm going to find a different word. <laughs> um, it's, it's just like, it's just mind blowing what kids have to go through. Asian kids, brown kids, black kids have to freaking go through just because we are not the Eurocentric ideal of beauty, which is dominant. I think that is fair to say that is the ideal standard of beauty and has been for a very long time. But I hope things are shifting. It feels like things are shifting and that freaking helps. What came to my mind when you were talking about this is I don't know if either of you or the audience has heard of this children's picture book called Eyes That Kiss in the Corner. Mm -hmm. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful book. And I just like think back and like, I almost want to get teary. Like what would it have been like for me as a child to see that book, to feel seen and to feel validated and to know that my Asian features deserve to be celebrated and deserve to be loved and to be appreciated. And I like want to buy that book for like any future nieces and nephews that I have. Like I want them all to have like this wonderful thing that like we didn't get growing up. And yeah. as much as I'm really excited about things shifting in the media, like we have movies now that paint Asian women as just existing it's not one or the other anymore. Like they get to just be. Um, so that's so exciting. Um, mm -hmm. And I, and I want more, I want more representation. Mm -hmm. that don't women feel other. Yeah, that yeah. This is just us, right? We get to just exist. I actually love that book and I got it for my niece. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really, really cute. I, the moment I opened it, I was like, wow, the art is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of the things that I thought about, you know, as y'all were recounting your journeys is the hyper-awareness right, mm -hmm. of being different from those around you. A lot of the times what I hear, and I'm sure you've heard too maybe, is that people tend to say, oh, just stop thinking about it. Don't think about it. Like, just know that you're beautiful and it's fine. Like, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And I find it kind of hard to do that, right? It's really hard. And I'm wondering, like, if y'all can talk about, like, why that is or why it's not helpful. I mean, it's not helpful because it's not being addressed. That sentiment really, like, when you said that, I heard my dad's voice and my mom's voice. So, and, and it's, and I was taught that, right? Just to stop. It's fine. Just ignore it. Why are you thinking about it so much? Why are you letting it affect you? Well, I'm being bullied and I'm being attacked and my self-worth is dwindling every day. But okay, you're teaching me to ignore it. And that will teach me and that has taught me to not speak up, that my feelings are either too dramatic or not valid. And then you shove it down your throat and you live like that and you let 
that pain and that suffering and that anger and sadness fester and it grows into self-hate and it will manifest into obviously how you see, see yourself, how you speak to others, how you let others speak about you and how you let others hear how you speak about yourself, right? One thing that has come up a lot in our group as we've been holding it is this battle between trying to find empathy and compassion for the family members in our lives who have body shamed us, who have made us feel like really not great about our bodies and about just existing as we are, giving them the compassion and also setting the boundaries, not letting what their comments say continue to impact you. And that looks like turning compassion to ourselves, right? So practicing and being really intentional about practicing empathy for ourselves and how we exist in our bodies, whether that looks like body positivity for some folks, because for some folks that is a really helpful framework to love and to reclaim what you look like and how you are as you are, or to take a more body neutral lens, which is what Catherine and I have really been trying to put into our group. And just accepting your body as it is, being grateful for what it can do and how it lets you move through the world. And then just trying to be really attuned to that like mind-body connection that you have. And I guess really just trying to focus on like finding joy, moving away from hit and cardio and strength training seven days a week and like finding the parts of movement that feel really good whether that's walking or yoga or dancing in your kitchen, letting yourself like really trust in that intuition in your body. Like, oh, this feels good. This compassion feels good. This love for my body and what it can do feels good. Mm -hmm. And that's the core of what we've been, of the work that we've been doing, right? Is finding the attunement, that mind-body connection again, and your intuition Again, when you grow up in a society, in a, in a household, that really shifts focus from your own needs, right? And the needs of other people. That's what Angela was talking about is doing these activities, uh, whatever activity it, it is, that feels good, that feels pleasurable to you, not through the lens of someone else, not through the expectations of someone else to you. Even if it's just like a little like tickle of pleasure, do it, explore it. There's so many things I loved about that. I, I, like my mind is going everywhere. The first thing I loved, I feel like, was y'all talking about having empathy for your family members who might have harmed you and then and setting boundaries. You can do both, which is amazing. I think a lot of us tend to focus on the first one and kind of forget about the second. And the other thing I love about that was what I'm getting from what y'all have been talking about is like the shift from viewing the body as like an aesthetic thing and living for other people into more like a functional, like being grateful for what it does for you and understanding like the sensations that you it innately has. But um, I want to kind of expand a little bit because I know there are some people who might not be as familiar with the language. So if y'all could talk about Y'all brought up like body positivity and body neutrality. Like, I guess, what does that mean? And then mm-hmm. also 
you know, what is the, what is the goal? Like what, what, what should we be striving to? I, I think you also talked a little bit about that maybe, Catherine. I think overarchingly for both, right, is body acceptance, whatever, whatever that means to you, whatever that looks like for you, for both body positivity and body neutrality, accepting the vessel that you are in, in living your life and hopefully thriving body positivity, it, it began as a movement to encourage people to take pride in their own bodies and its outward appearance, right? Not only uh, outward, but inward as well. Whereas body neutrality kind of shifts focus and hopes to shifts, shift focus on the value of your vessel, of, of your body container and focusing inward in the achievements that you have made and the process of, of, of where you got to from A to B and enjoying that space. An example that Angela and, and I always refer to is this image of hiking. Body positivity kind of focuses on, yes, I am so happy that I woke up this morning. I feel good in my skin. I look freaking good in this outfit that I picked out today. I have worked my ass off for this. Great. Body neutrality is, I got here. I am climbing up this mountain. I am so grateful for my legs, for my physical ability to get up this mountain right now. And I can enjoy the environment and I'm good with it. I'm happy. Whereas maybe the norm would be, I am exhausted. I'm sweating right now, climbing half of this mountain. Look at the freaking rolls in my shirt. Oh my God, right? Separating from that. I guess one thing that really comes up for me through all of this that we've been talking about is letting yourself exist in your own acceptance irregardless of other expectations and other standards, um, whether that's like societal standards for what you're supposed to look like, whether that's family expectations, what you're supposed to look like, whether that's like cultural patriarchal <laughs> expectations of like how you're supposed to be. And like, yes, all of those things are going to continue to impact us, but still giving yourself that space and that compassion to just be. I think that is the goal. And it's a hard one. Don't get me wrong. Like that's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. Um, and that's like generational trauma that you are dismantling is what it is, right? Yeah. It's the concept of your body doesn't belong to you. Well, honey, your body belongs to you. That is the work that needs to be done. And you don't exist to be admired or objectified is at its core is what we're working towards. You don't need permission to be, to wear what you want, to have your hair the way you want, to wear or not wear makeup. And I think this is speaking a little bit to like Asian cultures or specifically Vietnamese cultures because Catherine and I are both Vietnamese. You don't need your husband's permission to cut your hair or get a tattoo. You don't need that. Yes. You know, yes. just, just being. Yeah. 100%. I love that. Thank you so much for wrapping that up so beautifully. I would love honestly, to be a part of your Asian, because y'all facilitate the Asian Women and Femme Body Image Group with yes. the Yellow Check Collective, and it's a six-week group. Mm -hmm. For anyone who's listening to the podcast who might be interested in joining, feel free to keep checking out um, the Yellow Check Collective website and Instagram. That's where we update on the availability, because I'm sure we'll have more of these groups in the future but other than that where can our listeners and viewers find you if they want to kind of learn more from 
you beautiful people. You can just find me, Catherine, on our Yellow Chair Collective website. My email is posted there if you want to contact me directly. Same for me. You can find us on our website. I guess I'll just add that Catherine and I have been talking very much about like Asian and Asian American women and femme identifying bodies. And that's what the group is right now. We'll be starting another one or one of us will be starting another one. We don't know when yet, but I know that body image means something different for like men and mask identifying bodies and fingers crossed that we can get a group like that happening, you know, in the future. Well, thank you so much for sharing with our, your wisdom with us today. And um, I hope y'all have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. Thank you.